Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of July 3rd, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And because this is the pod for the week of July 3rd, 2023, that means we are officially in the second half of 2023, somehow, some way. And it ended up being quite the first half of the year for the market. This week was a comprehensive rally to close the first half, up 2.35%, the S&P 500, that is, meaning the year-to-date gain on the S&P 500 is nearly 16%. And I think if you go back in time to the beginning of the year and look at positioning, look at outlooks, look at economic and capital markets expectations for a, a wide range of Wall Street firms and research types. And I doubt many people were predicting a 16% gain in the first half of the year, led largely by the big sectors that tend to influence the market in rallies like this, technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary. Now, we did have some pretty strong economic data this week that was at the very least behind some of the rally. We had strong durable goods order, actually much better than expected. We had a better than expected Case-Shiller index for the top 20 cities. We had strong new home sales data, sort of bad pending home sales data, but the market shrugged it off. And then GDP was revised higher, 2% versus 1.6%. So all in all, some pretty good economic data in terms of economic activity. And then we got PCE on Friday, which was the lowest one-year number we've had since 2021. And you dig into it, and you can see why the market liked it. 3.8% increase last month from a year earlier, slower than the 4.3% increase in April, largely due to energy, which was down 3.9%. You look at a core index or core prices within PCE, 46 from 4.7 the previous month, and the market was anticipating a 4.7% number on the core basis. So all in all, the inflation data this week, which again was the Fed's favorite indicator of inflation, PCE, seemed to be at the very least signaling that we're going in the right direction on the consumer inflationary front. And we've seen recent Evidence that the wholesale inflation data, PPI, is also trending in the right direction, at least from the market's perspective and what it means for Fed policy. If you look at the month over month number, 0.1%, it was a 0.4% increase in April. And if you look within it, we actually didn't have as big a jump in consumer spending this month versus what we saw last month when we saw this massive gain in consumer spending. So a lot of the drivers of inflation, a lot of the sticky components of inflation are certainly what the market is going to watch going forward. But by and large, a really, really strong week in the market and not necessarily a week that was led only by those sectors we often talk about, XLK, XLC, XLY. It was actually Real estate, believe it or not, that was the best performing sector this week, 5.1% gain, followed by energy, 4.93%. Now, we did have a strong week in tech, 3% or so, so outperforming the market, XLC, 1.6%, slight lag, and then consumer discretionary up 2.64%, so slightly better than the market. But all in all, a really good week, all 11 gig sectors up, defensive sectors like healthcare, staples, 
utilities all lagged, more cyclical sectors, industrials, energy, materials, as well as real estate, all did very well this week on a relative basis and on an absolute basis. Not a super robust week, 585 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup in a fairly muted week from a flows perspective as well. We had 5.9 million shares in net redemptions, 5 million out of XLU, 3 million out of XLE. Another week where you see redemption activity in the energy sector, 2.7 million out of XLF, a fairly muted week in terms of XLF creation and redemption activity, and then also 2.4 million shares redeemed out of XLP. On the flip side, 4.3 million shares created in XLC and 1.8 into XLRIA real estate. So not a significant week in terms of flow in either direction. It was, if you just summarize some of that flow activity, a continued redemption story in some of these defensive sectors, continued redemption story in energy, and then some perhaps investors looking at the sector in focus this week and buying into the communication services sector. And that's basically what we're focused on this week is communication services. And I mentioned we have now six months in the books for 2023, and it would be a good time perhaps to do an overview or a look back on what happened in the first six months of the year. But we can do that in the context of communication services, because as we mentioned, coming into 2023, it was the worst performing sector last year. And this year, communication services is up 36% or so. In fact, 35.61%, if you want to get specific, slightly below the 35.9% gain we've seen in technology. So right up there at the top of the heap in terms of year-to-date performance, along with, of course, consumer discretionary, which is up 31.5% or so year-to-date. So those three sectors We've talked a lot about here in 2023 just because they've been so strong. And it is in stark contrast to what we saw in terms of the sector breakdown last year and what a lot of people were expecting coming into the year. Staples down 51 basis points so far. Healthcare down 2.3% so far in 2023. And then utilities down 5.66%. So a really, really weak start to 2023 for those defensive sectors, for the defensive sector strategies. and. In fact, Ned Davis wrote a piece this week talking about how that was one of the worst starts to the year we've ever seen from a defensive sector-oriented portfolio, which just underscores that dispersion we're seeing between cyclical and or growth and defensives. Even energy, which was the best performing sector last year, is down 9.71%. So it's the worst performer this year in 2023. And Communication services is such an interesting sector because, again, it was sort of created out of the ashes of the telecommunication sector not too long ago. And when you think about what was put in there, Meta and Alphabet and or Google, as well as many of these uh, myriad of entertainment companies, Dish Network, Comcast, Netflix, etc., You'd sort of think, well, it's a pretty big sector of the market. It certainly has a pretty big influence on market performance. These are really big companies. The reality is, is it's not a huge weighting in the S&P 500 and the sector only has 23 holdings. So this is a very, very concentrated segment of the market. And it's even more concentrated when you consider the fact that two stocks at the top of the cap spectrum, Meta and the two share classes of Alphabet effectively make up 
45% or so of the sector. There's some other big companies in there, T-Mobile, Verizon, Netflix, et cetera, well-known brands, significant companies in their own right. But this sector, which has done so well in 2023 and has in many cases, in the case of Alphabet and Meta, benefited largely from this AI focus in the market, it's also a sector that just doesn't have a lot of diversity, doesn't have a lot of balance, and certainly doesn't have a large number of holdings. And even with that, this is a sector when you stack it up against technology and discretionary that just doesn't trade as rich as those other sectors. In fact, you look at Com Services trading at 18.4 times 2023 estimated earnings. Compare that to discretionary at 24.7 and technology at 27.2. Any way you slice it from a price to earnings growth perspective, price to cash flow, price to sales, price to book value, the communication services sector screens, at least relative to discretionary and technology, as much less of a growth sector, just in terms of how it's valued relative to the market. The S&P 500 is trading at 19 times 2023 estimated earnings. So comm service is actually relatively cheap compared to the market when you just think about value versus growth and how people tend to draw those dividing lines. Comm services gets looped in with all of these growth sectors, and rightfully so, because there are some growth companies in there. But from a relative valuation perspective, it just doesn't trade like your outright high growth companies. Now, when you look at an index like the NASDAQ 100, that basically captures a lot of the biggest companies in tech, in consumer discretionary, and in communication services, then those companies, Meta and Alphabet, tend to be a big slice of that portfolio and tend to have bigger influence on that portfolio. But when you take a step back and just think about communication services in the construct of GICs, in the construct of sectors, it's a sector that gets a lot of attention, certainly a sector that has two of the biggest companies in the world in it, but it's not a huge weight in the market and it doesn't have a, a lot of stocks. Year to date, the performance has largely been due to those two companies. If you look at the contribution to total return of, say, Meta, and Alphabet combined, you're talking about 28% of that 36 plus percent year to date return. And then if you decompose it into some of the other components, it's actually that legacy telecom business that's been the only real drag on the portfolio. Legacy telecom companies are down 7.4% on a weighted average basis within the communication services sector, and they've detracted about 1% from the portfolio. So once upon a time in comm services, before it existed, there was telecom. And in telecom, it was Verizon and Apple and then everybody else. And they dictated what happened in that sector. Now, these companies are less than a 5% weighting in the communication services sector. They have much less influence on the sector. And that's reflective of the evolving nature of the GICS framework, but also underscores how unique communication services is not only relative to its growth counterparts, but also relative to the market because it does have so few holdings and it is so concentrated, which isn't necessarily unique. We have a lot of sectors that have concentration at the top, but the nature of that concentration, the companies there and how they relate to the rest of the sector is a very interesting and powerful dynamic. So looking ahead to next week, very quiet week and actually a kind of a weird week because 
you've got the holiday on Tuesday, you've got the market closing early on Monday, and you probably get some Hampton spreads at the back half of the week as a lot of people probably just decided to take the entire week off. And that doesn't mean the market's not going to be open for much of the day on Monday or that the market's not going to trade all day Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but it just means that you'll probably have lighter volumes, wider spreads in some cases, and just less general activity. We do have some economic data, ISM's manufacturing and services. We get the S&P PMIs, both on manufacturing and services as well. And then we get a payrolls number on Friday. So the rally at the end of this week into that sort of choppy week next week is somewhat interesting and I think reflective of just how the market wants to be positioned, which, of course, based on the tape so far in 2023, is to the bullish side. No earnings to speak of, so we'll wrap it up here. I thank you all so much for listening. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist for SSNC Alps Advisors. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. I hope everyone has a wonderful Fourth of July holiday. Catch you next time. Take care.